Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Pilgrim Talk Theology for Sojourners. I am Spencer Grusing, and this is my co-host, John Sweat. What's going on, guys? In this episode, we are going to talk about union with Christ. Um, maybe a topic that you're familiar with, maybe not, but it is very prevalent uh, in the Bible, and it is central to the Christian's life. Um, in fact, it underlies every aspect of uh, redemption. So before we get started, though, real quick, um, I want to remind you all to rate us on your favorite podcatcher. Um, go ahead, give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Share this episode with your friends if you feel led to. Um, we'd love for you to leave comments, questions, or even give episode topic suggestions on our Facebook page. Um, and you can find that uh, by searching Theology for Sojourners. So let's go ahead and get started. Um, all right, so John. Union with Christ. Now, I got to be honest. I mean, I've 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 listened to a bunch of sermons. I've read quite a few articles on it. Um, I've read excerpts from books on it. Um, but it's still pretty fresh for me. I think the first time that I heard Union with Christ was when I was working with you, and you started talking about it. Um, I think for a project or a paper for school. And I, I remember thinking, because your emphasis was on, you know, you couldn't believe how prevalent it was in Scripture. And I remember thinking in my head, I was like, this sounds like a completely foreign topic to me, like union with Christ. I've never heard that before. What is it? And um, and then uh, uh, Matt Owen went through a series at, at CBC. And I just remember it was just absolutely eye-opening to me. And it, it was amazing. I mean, it, it is all throughout Scripture. Um, what what was what was your first exposure to it? I think the first time I heard someone speak about it was R.C. Sproul, um, mm. and then I began to listen to the Reform Forum guys, and they were talking about uh, Calvin and Union with Christ, and that led me down a rabbit hole of kind of this uh, <laughs> intermural bait debate between kind of uh westminster california guys westminster philly yeah. guys but that debate was super helpful for me because i began to read a lot about union with christ then i was so uh excited about the topic because i couldn't believe how central it was to the christian salvation that i actually did a class in seminary a directed study one-on-one -on -one with a professor just on union with christ the new testament and that allowed me to read uh, quite a few books and kind of synthesize that material and write a paper on it that was really, I think, formative um, for both my understanding of covenant theology, salvation, the personal work of Christ, and has helped me, I think, uh, speak about the gospel more clearly and even understand in my own personal walk with the Lord, the relationship between things like justification and sanctification or... Yeah. Uh, justification and our final glorification. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I I think personally, it kind of helped me wrap my head around and even helped me in the full aspect of sanctification uh, in my own life. Um, it and hopefully all of our listeners um, after studying it, um, it will deepen their sense of intimacy with the Lord. And that, that's what happened for me. 
And like I said, it, it greatly helped my efforts um, and my understanding of uh, sanctification simply by understanding um, that it's not just my effort in it um, and that sanctification is actually rooted in union with Christ. Um, so um, let's let's go ahead and dive in. Um, there's two quotes that I want to read. Um, one is from John Murray, and he wrote that, quote, union with Christ is the central truth of the whole doctrine of salvation. It is not simply a, fra- a phase of the application of redemption, but it underlies every aspect of redemption. And that's in his book, Redemption Accomplished and Applied. Um, and then Anthony Hokima wrote that once you have your eyes open to this concept of union with Christ, you will find it almost everywhere in the New Testament. And that's in his book, Saved by Grace. Um, so let's start by going over um, just the idea of union in the New Testament. And so we have two main phrases uh, in the New Testament that are inter- uh, essentially interchangeable, um, and they describe union with Christ. Um, so the first one is we are in Christ, and then the second one is Christ is in us. And uh, John, I'll tackle the first one if you're good with tackling the second one. Yeah, 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 go ahead. All right, awesome. So uh, there are a plethora of uh, uh, verses that I'll, that I'll reference right off the top um, for we are in Christ. And I won't go over all of them, but I'll go over just a list of them to uh, make the point. But um, we have 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Philippians 3.9. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith. 1 Corinthians 15, 22, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Galatians three twenty eight. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And that phrase, we are in Christ or in Christ, is all throughout the New Testament. I, it is just... If, if you literally go through the entire New Testament, I, I want to say I heard one number that the phrases that are pointing to the union in Christ uh, is over 200. But um, but those are some of the passages for um, we are in Christ. And again, as I mentioned, there's a second one. Christ is in us. John, do you want to tackle that one? Yeah, so sort of the second second phrase is often used is Christ is in us. So you've got places like Galatians 2.20 where Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. Notice there's there's a, there's a, a different phrase there, but it's still very similar to union with Christ. Um, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Colossians 1.27, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Or Romans 8.10, uh, which says, but if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And both of these 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 phrases are are used throughout the Old Testament. We are in Christ, and Christ is in us. In fact, Constantine Campbell's book Union with Christ it's a it's a little bit uh, more technical of a work, but he goes through almost every single 
prepositional phrase that captures or conveys union with Christ, and he categorizes them and sort of sorts through them all uh, very helpfully. But these phrases convey to us this fact that that our salvation comes by way of us being bound to Christ. All of the, the blessings of salvation come um, not apart from Christ, or not as if we receive the benefits of Christ without Christ himself, but no, in one sense, salvation and all of its blessings can be summed up as possessing Christ himself, the whole Christ. In mm-hmm. fact, John's gospel, I think, Spence, just a little, moving a little bit further in this, in this discussion, yeah. uses both yeah, of these phrases in some of the same texts together. So, so John uh, 6.56, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Or, or John 14.20, and that day you will know that I am in my Father, you in me, and I in you. Or John 15, 4, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You notice John in the same verses is talking about us being in Christ and Christ in us. And Christ is telling his disciples here, hey, if, if, uh, if you are in me, then I am in you. And if you are in me, then you are in my Father. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think, Spence, the text, if I, if I had to take... If if I had if I could only take someone to one text talking about union with Christ, I would take them to John seventeen. Yeah. And it is in John seventeen that we see Jesus' high priestly prayer. The, the prayer is marvelous. All throughout there is this you get a glimpse into this relationship and this love between the Father and Son. And and Jesus in his prayer uses the foundation of that relationship between Father and Son to then speak about his disciples' relationship, not only to him, but to the Father. So Jesus says this in John 17, verse 23, and then moving to verse 26, he says, I and them and you and me. Now remember, he's praying to the Father. So so I am in my disciples and you are in me. Why? That they may become perfectly one. Now we're going to go back to that. He goes on to say, so that the so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love which you love me may be in them and I in them. Do you see, Spence, this like continual interplay between the union that the Son has with the Father and, and then the union that Christians have with the Son and thereby also with the Father, right? He says things like, "Love right. them. I, I love them even as you love me, and I want them to experience the same love that you've loved me, Father. I want them to experience that love as well. And right. uh, Grant, Grant McCaskill uh, does a great job in his book, um, Union with Christ in the New Testament, on talking a lot about John's understanding of union and the way that John talks about union. And in these texts, in John, there's this inter-mutual dwelling, right? Uh, in, in fact, it is John 17. In John 17, Jesus is speaking about some of the the heaviest Trinitarian language and spirit language that we have in all of Scripture. And what John is showing us is that salvation is principally union with Christ and participation in the divine fellowship and love within the Trinity. 
So this is why Grant McCaskill mm-hmm. would say, he says the grounds for the the the, the ground the grounds for the presence of divine glory with human beings is the relationship between the Father and the Son, who mediates that presence by the Spirit. Mm. And so that means then, Spence, that all of this divine glory, fellowship, love between the persons of the Trinity, we get to participate in through the umbilical cord of the Spirit who feeds us all the benefits of Christ and brings us into communion with the triune God. Yeah. Yeah, that is so rich. I mean, if you if you don't see the immediate application of that, I mean... That is some of the most intimate language in Scripture, I think, um, in in terms of uh, describing our relationship uh, with God through Christ. And so moving on from John, um, and, and still continuing to touch on John a little bit, um, let's hit on some of the union metaphors in the New Testament. So... Um, in addition to uh, the two prominent phrases uh, that we just went over, um, and again, as, as a recap, we have uh, Christ in us, and then uh, we are in Christ. Um, but in addition to those two, um, there are uh, some various alterations of that. Uh, but the New Testament uses a variety of metaphors, pictures, and images to portray union with Christ. Um, so, uh, we have, uh, sacrament, for example. Um, if you look in Romans six, uh, verses three through four, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, we too might walk in newness of life. Um, adoption is another metaphor, Galatians 4, 4 through 6. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his sons, of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Um, what, are, what are some other metaphors uh, that we see in the New Testament for union with Christ, John? Yeah, so we see uh, the, the kind of the the uh, the I, get, I don't know if you want to call it a picture, but there's this image right. of the new creation in Galatians six fifteen. There's the beautiful picture of union with Christ in uh, marriage, right? Ephesians five yeah. twenty five to thirty one. Um, there is a rich, rich uh, group of pictures um, that display union with Christ in the uh, the picture of. Uh, being the body of Christ or the temple of God places like first Corinthians three, mm-hmm. 16 through 17 Ephesians one, 21 through 23 first Peter two, four through eight. But I guess what, what we ought to be left with here just, and, and we're doing this and we're, we're 15 minutes into this episode, but just the sheer <laughs> amount of yeah. language, imagery, pictures, symbolism that is used to convey to convey our union with Christ. Uh, and then sometimes yeah. sometimes the scriptures mix it they mix the metaphors. 
the metaphors are mixed. Mm-hmm. And so like Ephesians 1, 21 through 23, and then moving into chapter 2 of Ephesians, there is this inner, inner mixture of the church being both the body of Christ that's united to him, but also the temple of God uh, that is united to Christ. Right. And um, but just this richness of of the fact that we are our life is literally hidden um, within Christ. And so as I was thinking about this episode, Spence, I was trying to, okay, if I was going to sum up and try to define union with Christ in in a short, simple sentence, what would I say? And I, I really couldn't do it. It it was, Mm -hmm. it was so difficult to, to encompass all that scripture says about union, because we've, we've mainly been thinking about Spence union with Christ right from the moment we're converted and united to Christ by the spirit. But the scriptures right. also speak about our union um, and eternity past, mm-hmm. right? Um, before the foundation of the world, uh, speaks of our union in the sense that Christ was our federal head and all that he did for us on the cross was our death and all those things. And uh, so, but, but here's my attempt at a definition. I, if yeah, because definition is important. Yeah, here it is. Someone will quibble somewhere in the world. <laughs> Here's me trying to encompass everything. I'm sure someone said it better than this, but here it is. Union with, union with Christ is the indissoluble bond between the triune God and his people, wherein they enjoy and share the eternal righteous love within and with the Trinity because of the work of Christ and by the work of the Spirit. So mm. let me break that down for us real quick, Spence. And kind of just share with you what I was thinking there with this. And you kind of push back or ask for clarification. Okay. And and this isn't original with me, by the way, uh, Pastor Murray Brett. Yeah, I definitely reached out to him after our last episode <laughs> and said, hey, brother, here's the definition. And he's like, yeah, I would add this. I would add There it. you go. You know, so um, put, a, put an asterisk next to this and, and let it be known. <laughs> Some of these are his words, but let's start with that first part there. Union with Christ is this indissoluble bond between the triune God and his people. Notice, it's not just a bond with Christ. It is a bond with the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, mm-hmm. an unbreakable bond, a bond that cannot be severed, a bond that once it's made, there is no, there is no cutting it apart. And it's between the triune God and his people. Who's his people? Well, it is the elect, the people of God, who were given to the Son before the foundation of the world, whom the Son came into this world to accomplish redemption for him. But notice the next part, Spence. This gets more, uh, a little bit more specific. Wherein, so, so, so within this bond, the people of God, they enjoy and share the eternal righteous love within and with the Trinity. So, so this eternal righteous love is something that happens between Father, Son, and Spirit. Mm-hmm. And because of our union with Christ, and Christ is our mediator, we are brought into that love. We get to participate in that love, enjoy that love. But one of the things Pastor Murray really helped me think about is he says, look, our, our experience of the love of God through our salvation in Christ is not an end unto itself. But rather, it's always meant to be shared. So if we think of our communion with Christ or our salvation as something that terminates in our own possession or our own 
uh, consumer benefits, that is going to result in a very selfish and legal-hearted view of our salvation, where where God's grace mm-hmm. is something for us to consume privately, devotionally, personally, but then we're very legal-hearted towards others, not then sharing that love with others. But rather, man, mm-hmm. those who are united with Christ, those who are are participating in this love, are those who then in turn share that with others. They they share mm-hmm. that that gracious love that we have tasted through Christ, and we share it with others. And uh, and then obviously the last part there, Spence, it just grounds this this union's grounded solely in the work of Christ. No other ground, and it's and it's applied to us by the work of the Spirit. So, any questions there, or anything you'd want to push back on? No, I mean, I think I I love the emphasis on the enjoyment and sharing in the eternal righteous love within and with the Trinity. Um, and I, I think a key word here that I that I want to touch in on, John, is is righteous love. Um, what do you what do you mean by righteous love? I would say this the 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 righteous love that is found only in God Himself, who can love righteously, perfectly, purely, according mm-hmm. to His good and holy character. Mm-hmm. Uh, love that within ourselves we cannot generate. So I know lots of unbelievers who, by God's common grace. Um, are in marriages with other unbelievers, and mm-hmm. they to some degree love their spouse. But the love there is not a love that is eternal and righteous. The mm-hmm. love there results from common grace and nothing more. Mm-hmm. But this eternal righteous love, something that is within the Trinity, mm-hmm. part of the very nature of who God it's is. Perfect, right. It's perfect. perfect. Without blemish. Without blemish, no selfishness, um, self-giving in every sense. That that's what I mean by that, Spence. Yeah, yeah, and and I've got to say um, that studying um, union with Christ, uh, especially in Reformed writers, really just opened my eyes to more of a of a of a rich and warm theology almost and certainly not all you know reformed theologians are cold and uh stony or anything like that but you know unfortunately i think you know reformed theology in some circles kind of gets that bad rep with it um you know it's all about theology it's all about you know the head and the mind and being um studious and and learning all these new doctrines and things like that but union with christ particularly in reformed theology i think it i think it brings out the warmth and it shows some of the true beauty of the gospel um i mean for me it just i mean it really just kind of i don't know it it helped me to experience reformed theology if that makes sense um calvinism election some some of these 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 harder doctrines to to come to grasp with um just i i don't know it just it caused my heart to overflow 
um, when studying union with Christ, because because probably because of this this uh, this focus on what we can enjoy uh, uh, with God, right? So His perfect love, we get to enjoy with it. And um, I don't know, maybe maybe that's just like a particular experience that I had with it. Um, but it's certainly an experience that I had with it. And um, no, no, I, I, I think. I think you're right. I this is exactly what in our interview with Mary Brett was getting at in communion with God. Yeah. That we abstract theology. Mm-hmm. And and again he said in that interview, it's not that we're against the abstract uh or it's not that we're for the concrete over the abstract or some sort of uh uh a deep philosophical study of God, but the reality is all of our theology must come underneath this idea of union with God, union with Christ, and communion with God, mm-hmm. and when we approach things like the doctrine of election or, or whatever from that starting point, there is a life and a breath that comes with that, that is far different than this sort of cold, cerebral, intellectual theology that sometimes yeah. can happen. Yeah, this I is why, it, by the yeah. way, some of the best theologians. Uh, I think are unmatched in our time, men like Sinclair Ferguson. Mm-hmm. Um, and others, you know, others would say Michael Reeves is very much like him. I, I've I've heard him speak, but I have yet to read some of his stuff. But um, there, there's a reason why you 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 read someone like that and you you listen to them preach or speak about theology, and you're always moved back to the love of God that. That, that has been shown to us in Christ and this love that we then get to participate in through our mediator by the spirit. Yeah. Um, I think you're exactly right there, Spence. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, awesome. Cool. So we have a working definition. Um, I'd love to uh, read um, the uh, Westminster Catechism question 66. What is that union which the elect have with Christ? The answer, the union which the elect have with Christ is the work of God's grace, whereby they are spiritually and mystically, yet really and inseparably joined to Christ as their head and husband, which is done in their effectual calling. So, um, yeah, no, that's that's awesome. Um, so, John, let's move on. Let's talk a little bit about union and uh, the Ordo Salutis. And so to all of our listeners who uh, are wondering what I just said, um, that phrase there, Ordo Salutis, uh, simply means um, the the series of steps within salvation. Um, John, do you want to unpack that for us a little bit? Yeah, yeah. So here's where I was getting at where union kind of talks. You know, we would say that the the... the the Christian partakes of the blessings of salvation mm-hmm. truly and actually when the Spirit effectually calls them into union with Christ. That's what the right. Westminster Large Catechism is getting at. But mm-hmm. the Scripture speaks about our union with Christ outside of that point in time. Mm-hmm. So here, here's what I mean by that. Okay, So the order of salute is the order of salvation. So Christ... Um, accomplishes redemption in history, not for an ambiguous and potential people, but rather he accomplishes salvation for a predetermined people. 
um, who were already in him by way of the covenant of redemption and eternally, eternally past. That's why Ephesians 1, 4 says you were chose in him, union language, before the foundation of the world. And so therefore that means then that Christ's work in time for the elect, places like Romans 6, 1 through 6, Colossians 2, 11 through 15, is a fulfillment of the triune God's decree to save this predetermined people in Christ. And so all of this is done, salvation, the Son being sent into the world, all of this is done for the purpose that the elect might actually become united to Christ mystically and covenantally through the application of salvation by the Spirit, making them members of the new covenant. And this then means that when we're brought into union with Christ in this way, our communion with God is fully restored. And this means that, therefore, Christ comes as a representative of elect people that participate in him in a federal sense, but they do not participate of these legal and salvific blessings until they're actually united to him. This is why John Murray will say, he, he speaks of these these three different ways that Scripture speaks of our union with Christ, right? We're uni- united to him in one sense in eternity. Mm-hmm. We're united in one sense in history and his work for us. But we're united in another sense spiritually and mystically and actually in a third sense. And, and after Murray talks about these three different mm-hmm. ways that the Scripture speaks about it, he says, We do not become actual partakers of Christ until redemption is effectually applied. Hence, it is by the effectual call of God the Father that men are made partakers of Christ. But this is all to say, Spence, mm-hmm. that union, while in one sense is not actual until we're united to Christ by the effectual call, union is a key component of salvation from eternity past to the end of history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And um, let's see here. Um, It's very, it can be very overwhelming. Uh, I I think the the most overwhelming uh, part of union with Christ was actually when I, when I, when they, I started realizing all of the implications um, that the, uh, that the order of salvation has, uh, I guess, indirect contact with union with Christ, um, because, but I would say, but so it was, it was pretty weedy, but it ties up loose ends in my understanding of that. Right. So, um, as Anthony Hokima says, um, that the roots of union with Christ are in divine election. The basis of union with Christ is the redemptive work of Christ. And then the actual union, with Christ is established with God's people in time. And uh, so like you were saying, John, uh, we don't really become partakers of those legal and participatory benefits until we're actually united to him in time. Um, but make no mistake, this was planned and orchestrated um, by uh, uh, God's uh, uh, infinite and wise counsel in eternity past. Um which just, I mean, blows my mind. It it blows my mind. Mm. Um, Amen. Amen. So let's do some application here. Um, how 
can we start to apply this in in a practical sense right and and not all i think uh john piper helpfully notes uh that not all theology is is meant to be okay how does this affect me okay how does this affect me he i think he helpfully points out to the fact that that some points and purposes of theology is is simply to to help us to to look at god to look at the grandness the infinite nature of and the glory of god and for us to just sit back and say wow but i think that especially with union with christ that there that there is a very very helpful application of it in in the sense of sanctification kind of like like we touched on uh, in the beginning of the episode john um how how can i apply union with christ to my sanctification yeah yeah well we didn't really talk about this head but just man if you think about the love that the father has for the son or this eternal righteous love that is within the trinity yeah and how unlike how unlike it is or how different it is from any other kind of love we have experienced or given in this life. Even true and good love, like the love I have for my wife or my daughters. Mm-hmm. But I think about how imperfect it is. Yeah. How um, selfish I can be. Mm-hmm. I break promises. I'm it can feel like a roller coaster sometimes. You know, you, you you feel it. You're like way up here, way up high on the mountain one time, and then you know, other days it's like, man, like, you know, I just don't feel like <laughs> I don't feel like talking to him today. Yeah, yeah, and and certainly, obviously, w- without digging deep into the the nuances of love, obviously, love right, is right, more right. than a feeling. But my oh, point absolutely. is, man, if 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 Union with Christ and, and John's Gospel especially talks about over and over and over as the father has loved me i have loved you oh righteous father john 17 you have loved me and i pray that they too would experience that love you know i'm paraphrasing that obviously Mm -hmm. that ought to whatever kind of hardness of heart we've got going on in the moment whatever legal heartedness or I, I guess we're getting it. Whatever we we feel uh, the 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 gospel dulled in our hearts, dim, insignificant, we're used to it. Man, if we will think on that, that that is the love between the Father and Son and Spirit that we then partake in. Um. That ought to bring life. Fresh and anew to the fact that we are in communion with this God. Yeah. Because when when we say think when we when we think of the gospel purely as a benefits package, right? I got my righteousness, I got my forgiveness of sins, I got my ticket to go to heaven. We have now severed the benefits of the gospel from the person of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Right? The gospel is the Son of God clothed in human flesh come to us from the Father. God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God predestined us in love before the foundation of the world. 
right? So when we think about union with Christ, what it helps us to do is it helps us to understand our salvation in light of the whole Christ. Right. Both the person of Christ himself, but both in his life for us and his death for us. And Calvin is so good in this. Man, listen, John Calvin, by the way, friends, is extremely easy to read if you get a good translation. Everyone wants wants to read Luther, <laughs> right? Reformation time comes around. Everybody wants to read Luther. You start reading Luther, and it's no longer it's no longer appealing. Luther would have made a great Twitter theologian. Yeah, but Calvin is very readable. And if you'll go read <laughs> Calvin, especially his sections on union with Christ, he has some real gold here. Listen to what he says. He says, first we must understand that as long as Christ remains outside of us, and we separated from Him." All that he has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value for us. Calvin then goes on to mention texts like Ephesians 4.15, Romans 8.29, Galatians 3.27. And he goes on then to say, he says, Christ has to, has to become ours and to dwell within us. For as I have said, all that he, is, all that he possesses is nothing to us until we grow into one body with him. And so as we think about union with Christ, it then gives us um, the framework and I think the proper understanding of the fellowship that we have with God through Christ then to understand things like how our good works relates to our salvation. And how does sanctification play in this? Mm, so maybe, yeah. maybe you can speak on that a little bit, how union with Christ kind of helps us have a better understanding of that. Yeah, absolutely. And because my acceptance in Christ is not based on my good works. My acceptance in Christ, my my standing before God is not a result because I've done, you know, so much good. No, it's rooted in the fact that I, I couldn't do any good before God. I'm sinful, broken in fellowship with God, but Christ is my substitute. Christ alone is my substitute, my perfect, righteous, spotless lamb. He was the substitute. And when, when I, when I, when I think about that and when I, am humbled by that, I, I rest in him. And so when we're united to him and we begin to think about our union with Christ and, and, and the, the benefits that that brings to us um, within the fellowship of the Trinity, I think that we are, we, we and, and I think I can, I can, I can say this of you too, John, we are, we find this, this urge within ourselves to love God more. That we're we're more in awe of God, we see more of His glory. Perhaps we we, and again, you know, there 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 can be an overemphasis on emotion, but um, I think doctrines such as this evoke more emotion in me um, that that spike my love for God. Um, I'm just I'm just amazed at Him, and and so pulling some of those doctrines together really helps me do that. And it motivates me to love God and to obviously, you know, do what he wants me to do and, and act how he wants me to act um, because he is so glorious, because he is so great. And so 
I mean, I think I, I love Calvin's language there that um, that all that he possesses is nothing to us until we grow into one body with him. But because Christ has united himself to us right through the spirit, we are now one body with him. And so that that helps us in our in our battles with sin. Um, that we are united in him and we and we have forgiveness in him. Go ahead. Were you going to say something? Yeah, I was going to say, we're united with him in all points of his activity on our behalf. So the mm-hmm. scripture says we're baptized into his death. We're resurrected with him. We've been raised with him. We sit with him in heavenly places right now so that our life is hidden with Christ and God. And we are, we are, um, and, and we are promised that when Christ returns, who is our life, we will appear with him in glory. And this then, all that Christ has done on our behalf, that has now become ours because we've been united to him. That then is the foundation of our sanctification. So when we're united mm-hmm. to Christ, we're declared righteous before God. And Christ is now in us, working out that righteousness in us, not as uh, yeah. something that adds to our justification, but rather the fruit and the blossom of our justification, the, 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 um, yeah. the outworking of our union with Christ. And so it's rooted in our sanctification, not in our achievement or amount of holiness or sanctification that we can achieve by human merit, but in what God has done in Christ and for us in union with Christ that is then being worked out. And uh, this is why Pastor Murray would say, therefore, to enjoy the love of God the Father, the grace of God the Son, and the power and comfort of God the Spirit, we must by faith, faith elevate Christ and his righteousness above self and self-righteousness. It is the more we understand and taste and partake in the righteousness of Christ and the identity that we have in Christ that we then can truly uh-huh. grow in our enjoyment of the love of God and the grace of the, the Son and the power and comfort of the Spirit. Yeah, and you you touched on how our union and communion with God through our mediator doesn't terminate on self, right? So you touched on how how it, how it it urges us to extend it and share it with others, right? And we would be remiss to uh, not hit on this in conclusion, but um, we simply aren't understanding we aren't aren't meditating on these truths of scripture in in a proper sense if if we're not compelled to share it with others right so so not not just unbelievers but but other christians right so you know even you know personality differences you know little spits and spats and, and things like that guys love the body of christ we are grafted into and in fact we touched on 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 some of the the metaphors found in the new testament and one of them is the body of christ right we're grafted into one body together so just as we are in christ i mean we are unable to be separated in 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 a spiritual sense from other christians right they're they're going to be with us in eternity but they're with us now too and 
our love for God and our enjoyment of that, that perfect righteous love needs to spill over into our relationships with not just our local church, but all Christians in general. Did you say anything to that, John? Yeah, I would just say absolutely. And, and to our neighbors and right, right. Second greatest commandment, love, uh, love your neighbors yourself. Mm-hmm. But, but going back to that sharing and we'll close with this Spence. Listen, so strong already in John 13, 14, beginning of 15 union language. And listen to what Jesus says in John 15, nine through 12. Okay. As the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Notice the interplay. My father loves me. I love you. I've, I've kept my, uh, um, I kept my father's commandments and I, I, you know, I abided in his love. You abide in my love and you keep my commandments, right? Listen to what he mm-hmm. goes on to say. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So if we are partaking of the love of God through Jesus Christ, and we are then not in turn sharing that love with one another as Christ has loved us, there is a fundamental breakdown in our theology. Yep. And I am very guilty of this. I'm very... Oh, yeah, yeah. Who's, Who's not, but... Yeah, we I could we could, I could lead us in a prayer of confession right now. <laughs> but listen, brothers and sisters, we have been brought into union with Christ, this indissoluble bond between the triune God and his people, where we enjoy and share the eternal righteous love within and with the Trinity because of Christ's work by the work of the Spirit. And so as we continue to sojourn in two ages as pilgrims, feeling the tensions of the already and not yet, feeling the thorns and thistles seeing the beauty of all that's around us, all the more darkened by sin and disappointment. May we continue to look to Christ who is our life, and may we long for that day when we see him face to face. 